Disclaimer, we cannot guarantee that all undergrads give good career advice. Don't just go up to the first undergrad you see in your lab and ask them, tell me, what should I do with my Your mileage may vary. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we give you insider tips on landing a job in management consulting. Stay with us. That'll be $1 million, please. $2 million this week. We are back. This is Hello PhD, episode 37. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Erneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. I changed my inflection a little bit this week, Dan, just to keep people on their toes. Always reinventing. You are a renaissance man. <laughs> uh, how was your week, Dan? It was a great week. How was yours? It was great. I'm really enjoying this return of spring weather. Everything is blooming. There's flowers on everything. Yeah, well, you know, I actually heard this was the warmest winter on record in the United States. I read an article about the America without a winter this year. You know, a few weeks ago, I went to Pennsylvania through Detroit, Mm -hmm. and I left here. It was warm. We weren't wearing coats, and I landed there, and it was snowing. I was so mad. But I grew up there, so I should be used to it by now. You don't miss it? Uh, I like a little bit of snow. Yeah, I like it at Christmas. I like it at Christmas. Yeah, that's true. You know, I I can deal with one or two snows in the six inch range that then go away because it becomes 60 degrees again within like a couple days yeah i think it's the length of the winter that matters and i do miss skiing but anyways i was up in uh near the great lakes does that mean anything to you josh (laughs) wow that is an impressive segue into our beer this week oh really yeah it's amazing you said that oh wow i'm really (laughs) glad that came up it's like we planned this stuff uh we are drinking a beer from great lakes brewing company Wow, what a coincidence. Well, I'm extra excited, too, about this one, Dan, because this is our first Ohio beer, I think, that we've had on the show. Ooh, I'll have to check the records. Yeah, this is from Cleveland, Ohio, Great Lakes Brewing Company, and this is the Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. I have been to Cleveland many a time. So, Dan, you grew up around the Great Lakes. Which Great Lake did you grow up near? Lake Erie, and Cleveland is on Lake Erie, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> I, I did not grow up near the Great Lakes. Um, however, Dan, are you familiar with any Great Lakes history? Does the name Edmund Fitzgerald ring a bell to you? No. Uh, growing up near Erie, Pennsylvania, I know about Erie history, but nothing else. Well, I was curious just because of the name of this beer. And actually, I read the the text on the label. Robust and complex, our porter is a bittersweet tribute to the legendary freighter's fallen crew taken too soon when the gales of November came early. So I did a little reading, Dan. So the Edmund Fitzgerald was a large Great Lakes freighter that sank in Lake Superior in November of 1975, and the entire crew of 29 sailors actually died in that shipwreck. Why are you making me sad? Well, I did you know, showing my ignorance, I thought Edmund Fitzgerald was like a great American poet or something, but then I started reading about it, and uh, it is actually pretty sad. And on the label, it has... Um, a 29 inscribed um, into the artistic rendition of the waves as a tribute to the fallen sailors. I feel like this beer tastes better with my tears in it. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Great history. Yes, yeah, so I guess the Edmund Fitzgerald was the largest freighter um, at the time in the Great Lakes and still to this day the largest that ever sank there. And following 
the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald that led to lots of reform in maritime safety on the Great Lakes. Well, there you have it. Maritime safety, always the topic of interest to Hello PhD listeners. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things like we don't make rules until we need them, right? That is true. You have to kill 29 people before you have maritime. I'm sure it was a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, we don't often drink porters on another topic. <laughs> another topic. But it's quite good. I like it. Uh, if it was up to you, we'd have an IPA every week. No, no. But... I, I think it's good to change it up. And this one is is nice and chocolatey. I think it's good. It's not coconutty like the last one we did, but it's, it's, it's not really a mounds nice. bar, but this is a decent porter, I think. Very good. Thank you for uh, supplying it. Yeah, I wanted to fit this in before winter was completely behind us. Cleveland on Lake Erie, just so you know. So that this is for you, Ohio listeners. Dan, this week we've got part two of our interview with Laura Terry, who is a management consultant with McKinsey down in Atlanta, one of the largest consulting firms in the world. I am so glad because this week we're going to hear about how she got there. I was quite intrigued last week with what management consultants do. I think it sounds like a very exciting job. Yeah, I really felt like it was a peek inside of a black box. When I would hear consulting, I would just think this was some mysterious job that didn't really mean anything. So it was really interesting to learn about what consultants actually do and how being a scientist really does fit nicely. That way of thinking fits nicely with the job of a consultant. I have come up with a new plan for shipping vaccines. I've been thinking about it this week. Dirigibles. <laughs> no? Just be careful what you fill those with. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, actually, I had my own, as I pondered this week, my own strategy for this vaccine shipping dilemma. What do you got? How about instead of shipping the vaccines to the people, the vaccines being perishable, what if you ship the people to the vaccines? You have just revolutionized the industry, <laughs> sir. Think about My it. hat's off to <laughs> you, yeah. Drones will all just come flying with needles at us. <laughs> That's another option. We'll Kids talk will to. love it, yeah. So let's find out how she got into this position and how we will be rejected if we ever apply. Yeah, I think this is an interesting topic for our listeners because this week we're going to really delve into how Laura, who was completely on the faculty track for the majority of her training through undergrad, graduate school, even her postdoc, when she entered her postdoc, her career goal was to be a tenure-track faculty member. So I think it's really fascinating to hear from her about what that transition off of the tenure track was like, because we've talked about before how that can be a trying decision to make. But then also, Dan, in this conversation, I think there's some great tips for people who might be interested in pursuing that path to help them really go that route if that's something they're interested in. And and one last point, even if you're not interested in management consulting, I think some of her advice is good for any kind of career you're going into because she really does take all the right steps. Absolutely. Let's take a listen. So tell us a little bit about what that transition was like. How did you go from being gung-ho, wanting to be a faculty member, to being a management consultant? Sure. A couple of things happened for me. I've spent, you know, my graduate life really wanting to be in academia, loved research, had a fantastic experience at Vanderbilt. So I went to Princeton, uh, did a postdoc there. And I was a couple of years into my postdoc when a few things happened. The first is that I started teaching. Um, so I got outside of the lab and I realized that there were other parts of academia that excited me a little bit more than being a PI. Gasp. There are things outside of the lab. Please take note, everyone listening. <laughs> How did you get out of the lab? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, honestly, Choot, shoot her arm off. I did not tell my PI the first semester that I was teaching. He found out at the end of the semester. It was the ask forgiveness, not permission strategy. I, I don't I think I have delivered that advice. You you always tell people to actually 
ask first, but ask first, and then if they say no, recognize that it is your you have the right yeah. to do that. Your manifest in destiny. your training, and NIH agrees with that actually. So, well, she uh, begged forgiveness rather than asking permission, and now now look at her achieved so. your dream. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So I figured out that I, I love teaching. I also really started to love academic administration. I don't think there are a lot of people who think now we're a, talking being a dean yeah. is exciting. Um, but it actually world. became really exciting to me to think about the sort of the business and management side of running a university. That got me curious. It's, a, it's such an important question, and I wish more really good, talented, innovative people would go into that part of the, the business because um, obviously there are some problems at very high levels in universities. But um, cool that it, it kind of appealed to you, and I'm, I'm starting to get a sense of where this may have taken you. Yeah. So the third thing that happened was I was mentoring a student in the lab who was a biology and finance double major, and he was interviewing for consulting jobs. So at this point, I'm 30, 31 years old. I had never heard of McKinsey. I didn't know what management consulting was. I like to tell people I didn't read the Wall Street Journal because it didn't have comics. Fair enough. Yeah. So my only business knowledge was Econ 101, which I took when I was, you know, a freshman in college to fulfill a requirement. Yeah, a requirement, of course. So zero business knowledge, but I've got this undergraduate who's really passionate about consulting and science, and he starts telling me that there are companies that hire people like me, people with PhDs, people with no business experience, and will actually bring them up to speed on business and put them in interesting settings. So I'm actually loving that you were getting career counseled by an undergraduate in your lab as a postdoc. Yeah, I got, I got, I got career advice from you know a 21-year-old in my lab. Um, but it turned out to be fantastic career advice, right? He challenged the way I thought about my job. Um, Disclaimer, we cannot guarantee that all undergrads give good career advice. Yeah, be very careful about Don't just go up to the first undergrad yeah. you see in your lab and yeah. ask them, tell me, what should I do with my Your life? mileage may vary. Okay. So it worked out for you, though. And, and he was, was applying and interviewing and thinking about it. How did you say to yourself, this is something I want to do? Or did, did somebody contact you? So I got curious and did what I think a lot of people might do and turned to the internet, right? Did some reading about different companies that hire PhDs. Um, I'm still a science nerd, so I read a book as well about consulting careers and how to prepare for them. And I ended up applying for a workshop. So I found that McKinsey and some of the other big consulting firms hold a workshop to inform PhDs about this career choice. So my actual job story is that I applied for a workshop. I got a phone call three or so days later saying, we'd like to just interview you for a job. Forget about the workshop. You're kidding me. So, wow. McKinsey is looking for people, right? Because they wouldn't be holding a workshop and spending money if they didn't want PhDs. Correct. They're actively out there doing it. Um, number two, what is the book? Because it sounds like it gave you some good prep. The, the book was, is called Case in Point. It's something that a lot of people read when they're preparing for consulting interviews. Okay. When they called you and said, we'd like to interview you, you were like, oh, good. I'm glad I read this thing. Well, when they called and invited me to interview, I had probably no idea what I was getting into. The job interview is really different um, than any other job interview I'd ever been to into before, which of course was just postdoc and grad school interviews. Yeah, it's a pretty small subset of the types of job interviews. You know, I had done some internet-based research. I had read a book, um, and I started meeting people on campus. I, I found a consulting club at Princeton for graduate students who were interviewing for different types of consulting jobs, 
And I, I started practicing with them. So I found buddies who would give me a practice interview and I would return the favor. This is, I mean, I don't know how you find these people, Josh, but you're finding all the people who do the career search exactly the right way. You put yourself out there. You didn't wait until something kind of landed in your lap. You learned as much as you could. You found people to support you. It sounds like it's it's the exact right way to go. Did did you take the interview and then it was just like, okay, you're hired, no no problems? So I had three rounds of interviews. Um, so it was quite a lot of hurdles to jump through. And I got to the end of it and honestly wasn't expecting to get a job offer. Um, and so I, I sat on that job offer for almost a month. It was a, a very, very generous job offer, really exciting opportunity, right? Fantastic company to work for. But I spent a lot of time thinking about this decision. Do I want to walk away from the research bench? Gosh, I've been doing research for more than a decade. Right? That, that seems like a lot to give up. And I was thinking about it as giving up that part of myself. And that was really tough. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how your identity becomes, I am a research scientist. And people go through these very emotional stages when they're, uh, uh, quote unquote, leaving that. So, I, so what ultimately led you to making the decision you made? A couple of things. Um, one was some advice from a neighbor who lives up the street from my parents. Was it an undergrad? Uh, it was not an <laughs> okay. undergrad. This time it was a it high was... school student who <laughs> lives down the street from no. my parents. Jimmy, what do, you, what do you think about my career? <laughs> no, this time it was a retired banker um, who advised me that there was no wrong move here, right? McKinsey was a sort of career where I could get a job doing almost anything with this on my resume, that it was a fantastic way to go and learn a really different set of skills and would open a lot of doors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's a kind of no loss. And so I guess following up on that, now you've had the benefit of you made the decision you made, three years have gone by? Yep. Mm -hmm. So what do you think now? Did you make the right choice? I think I did. So I think of this as basically doing a postdoc in business, right? I committed myself to learning something new and different and developing a unique set of skills over a couple of years time. So now I've got this fantastic set of business skills and I feel like I've opened a thousand doors. Now I do want to point out that, you know, the calculus is a PhD coming into this sort of career is involves closing one door right? It would be really hard for me to go back and be a, a PI right now. I would probably have to do another postdoc, right? I'd have to start a new research program. But I'm okay with that because the trade-off is I've opened so many other doors that I didn't previously have access to. Yeah, it makes sense. And and so it is a, it is a transition, maybe tough to go uh, backwards on that road. But, but what happens for um, PhDs who do consulting, do they go on to become uh, more business people? Do they go work at biotech companies? What happens? Or do they stay forever and do consulting? They, they go a variety of ways. There are definitely some who stay forever and do consulting. There are a lot who get hired by the clients we work for, right? I mean, one of the things that our clients like is they can sort of get to know you, see your skill set, and if it's a good fit for them, sometimes they'll hire you. So what do you see your future being? I mean, do you see consulting being a long, a long-term career for you, or I think there are a number of different places I could go. Right, if I want to stay with McKinsey, there are a couple of options internally. One is to continue to pursue being a partner, so developing clients and bringing in new business to McKinsey. 
Another option is to go on more the the research or the administrative side, right? We spend a lot of time on knowledge development and on people development, right? I mean, somebody trained me as a PhD to know something about business, right? So there's an administrative side of, of the work as well. If I were to leave McKinsey, I think I have a lot of opportunities, especially anywhere in the pharma or med device or healthcare industries. Right? I've got a fantastic mix of academic research experience and business training to bring to the table. Did you have any um, any of your colleagues or your PI who didn't even know you were teaching at the time? Did they say, oh, I can't believe Laura would go do this? I, I definitely had that experience, right? I, I had one of the professors that I worked with quite closely who said, well, I wouldn't make that career decision, but it's your life. That but was, but that it kind of turned up his nose at it or... Yeah. Um, but it's a relationship that I still have intact today, right? And it turned out to be a great decision for me. So did anybody tell you you were making a mistake, a career mistake? There were plenty of people who pointed out that I was giving up the professor dream that I had had for a long time. Um, but I already knew that for myself and I was okay with that decision. Yeah, it makes sense. You did it in stages. So I think the last question that came to mind is most of our listeners are grad students, postdocs, trainees who are thinking about their careers. What advice would you give to someone listening who might be considering a consulting career already or you've piqued their interest in, in looking into that path? What advice do you have for them? A couple of things. The first is to get outside the lab. And that's true for any career that you're potentially considering, even an academic one, right? You need to develop skills in leadership and teamwork and problem solving that are independent of your research work. Here, here. Can we ring a bell or something? So people recognize that this is very valuable advice. You need extracurriculars, you know, to balance your skill set, to, to, you know, keep you happy to learn new things that you can't learn in a research lab. Hate to break it to you, but you can't learn everything from your PI yep. that you need to for life. And this is not just resume padding. This is like you actually need to develop the life skills. Yeah. And it can be simple things, right? It might be taking a leadership position as a, the head TA for a course. It might be running your department seminar series or setting up a recruiting event if you want to keep it sort of close to the science home. It might be volunteering at a totally different organization off campus or getting involved in a startup in your community. But you need to do things to broaden yourself beyond having a science and nature paper. Yeah. And it sounds like some of that is not just to had your CV and have be more competitive for jobs, but just to have that self-awareness to even know what it is that might be a good fit for you. I think trying other things, Josh, will help you understand what skill sets do you really have. I mean, you could put on your resume that you're really good at Western blots, but that's probably not going to get you a job, right? What's going to get you a job is being able to manage a team through a challenging situation, being able to organize an event that involves bringing together people from different backgrounds, right? So you need things that are outside the lab to help you understand what skills you really have. Being really good at Western blots might get you a job, but it's probably not going to be a very fun job, right? You're going to just be given Western blots to do. <laughs> Clearly, you can tell that I don't miss the Western blots. Yeah, I hated Western blots. So what else? Start to find people who will support you. And that may not be within your lab, but there are certainly people at your university or in your community who will help you develop these skills. A lot of universities might have a consulting club, either for undergraduates or for graduate students. And if you are interested in consulting, that's a great way to meet other like-minded folks. Well, that's, that's great advice. And also, yeah, we'll make sure we post a link to the Case in Point 
book in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out. How come your undergrad gave you career advice and my undergrad just played with parafilm balls? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I do wrong? I don't know, but I got to give a shout out to Bam for that one. Okay. Well, thank you, Bam. That was good advice and it tur- seems to have turned out well. Laura, thanks for, for coming. And the other advantage of you traveling for your job is you happen to be in North Carolina so you could be here in the studio with us for this interview. Thanks for stopping by and for answering all of our delving questions. And it was also fun reliving all of the fun times we had back as undergrads in the research lab, staying up late and having pipetman battles. And Let's do a podcast about that. You know, <laughs> Josh, 15 years ago in the lab, I got the dirt. <laughs> and I lived to tell the tale. Probably gave great career advice. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. That was our interview with Laura. I am very excited. Um, I'm really glad that we got to talk to her and share that. It it was such a mystery to me, and she really made it very clear. And I loved what she talked about, Dan. She really echoed a lot of the things that I feel like we hammer over the head so many times on this show, and that is how important it really is, no matter what you do, to take some time during your training to think about what are the things that I want to do, getting these experiences outside of the lab beyond just your bench work, how really those are the things that set you up for success no matter what career you pursue. Yeah, if she had been totally passive during her training, she would maybe be a faculty member and maybe be happy at it. But it sounds like she's really getting a lot of incredible experiences, a lot of uh, extra training that she never would have had. So yeah, it's important to do it now. It is. And I think, you know, I share a very similar story. And I think to a certain extent you do too. You know, I think there's something to be said for just being open when opportunities come along. You know, have these set career goals in mind, and that's great. But being willing to make a jump when the right opportunity comes along, I think, um, can be really important. So you're ready to invest in my dirigible vaccine delivery company? Um, I have a few questions before I open my checkbook. Okay, very good. Well, maybe you will have success at this week's etymology puzzle. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. The clue last week was this geological period was dominated by ancient life forms like trilobites, fish, and early dinosaurs. This is not my area of expertise, Dan. Yeah, geology is a tough one, isn't it? What about Mesozoic? Is that a geological period? That is a geological period, but Meso, if you remember, middle. is middle. That's yep. the one in the middle. That's why I so picked I want, it. So I want ancient. you have anything that means ancient or old? You're so old, close. Oldozoic. You're so close. <laughs> You're so good. The answer was Paleozoic. So Paleo meaning ancient and Zoic meaning, you know, it's the same root as zoo or uh, animal. So animal or life. So ancient life was the clue in that week. So how does that pair with uh, the trendy, the trendy diet Paleo? I am so glad you asked. Um, it doesn't, I guess. I think people are, are trying to aim for foods that we evolved eating rather than foods that came through agriculture. Although I know some Paleo people who eat compressed whey protein bars and i'm pretty sure just like our caveman ancestors, our caveman ancestors we're not eating those no it doesn't they, make any sense to me <laughs> they nothing but wild berries and uh soy protein powder oh soy yeah they, they loved the soy <laughs> loved soy protein yeah. very good let me give you the clue we apologize next. to any of our listeners who follow a strict paleo diet no if you're doing it fantastic i think it's actually quite good for you and dan i think we had a winner this week We had Nicholas from Ohio University who got the puzzle correct, so we'll send him an Amazon gift card. Good job, Nicholas. Um, 
the clue for next week, now that we're off topic, is these nocturnal primates are the ghosts of Madagascar. One more time. These nocturnal primates are the ghosts of Madagascar. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue. And once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler to the Amazon River Basin. Nope, just a gift card. And if you don't know the answer, send Dan an email anyway. Yeah, I do like to hear from people. Yeah. I'm so, so bored all the time. I just need more email. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. We do love hearing from our listeners. It's that been, is actually true, yes. It's been really cool. I feel like we've we've gotten to meet virtually, at least, a lot of different people in a lot of different places who are listeners. It means a lot to us to hear from you guys. We do this week after week. We're just kind of sitting here with headphones and microphones and... It would be great. Uh, if you like the show, if there's something uh, that you enjoy listening to or you just want to reach out and, and say hello, we would love to hear that. You can also leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you hear it. We love to read those, and it really helps other people to find the show. Very good. And you know that this past week we crossed another milestone, don't you? What is that? 20,000 downloads. 20,000 downloads. So we know there's a few of you out there listening, although I think my mom is probably at least 10,000. Yeah, she's (laughs) 19,980, but it's fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's it's really cool to have this kind of support. We want to make this show as useful as possible for you, so if you have a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, send us an email, podcast at hellophd.com or a tweet at hellophd, or reach out to us on the Facebook page, and we will certainly get back to you. Dan, if if you're on a paleo diet, can you drink beer? I can't imagine that you would be able to. Oh, no. You poor paleo people. Maybe that means we don't have any paleo listeners. I think you're right. Too tempting. Too tempting. See you next week, Dan. See you next week. <laughs>